Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Ryan Keel. If you didn't happen to check out the first podcast with Ryan, go back and check it out and then come back and listen to part two. So, so transitioning like out of, out of Under Armour a little bit now and you make a move, you've got a lot of curiosity, obviously, a lot, a lot of really interesting things you want to do. You end up becoming more or less an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You go on your own. You partner with several different people you've known for a while. You meet some new people and so on. Tell us about some of those ventures and tell us about what's going on. Yeah, so um, I left, uh, been at it now three years um, with my partners at Chainable. It's interesting, guys, because my two partners are completely different than I. We I've met that, them. I've met we've them. Done yeah. that, we've done that intentionally, yeah. right? So one is a true programmer, successful entrepreneur, twice over, you know, computer guy, tech guy, you know, like really into that space, which is awesome. And it's much smarter than I. Again, I sort of set out, like, I, the my biggest goal when I left UA is, like, I wanted to be the dumbest guy in the room. Yep. Right? If I'm in the dumbest guy in the room, I'm in the right room. Yeah. Right? I didn't need to surround myself with That's people like That's a good like rule. Me. That's another good rule, isn't it's it? great rule. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean... You and, and you, I are always really successful at it's that. It's great. I am too. <laughs> totally. Hey, all three of us I, are. Don't, I, don't leave me out of that I conversation. Mean, I mean, 100%, yeah. right? It's a very low bar, but still. <laughs> and so um, one is – and the other one uh, who I've known since college, he's a master at sort of um, marketing and digital marketing and things. So we built this that, with the idea that, like, we wanted to look – if we look at, like, businesses as funnels, like, we wanted to cover the full funnel. We didn't want to be a specialist in certain parts of the funnel – so I spend most of my time at the top of the funnel. So that's awareness type stuff, business strategy, sort of top end, 30,000 foot stuff. Business development. Business development, yeah. Uh, Chris does middle, mid funnel. That's like we're working with a lot of businesses who sell online, market online. Um, and then Tim comes in at the back end and makes sure the consumer experience and consumer's journey is, is great once you hit, or hit purchase. But those are rules that are written in pencil. So it's not like we're like we cross over a lot. Now I mm-hmm. never go to the tech stuff. Yeah. Like Tim, what do you think? You know, <laughs> but um, they will cross. We'll cross over. So it's it's just more guidelines and how we present ourselves, and that's been to help us be successful. You know, we've got um, so we're an advisory shop. We've sort of a, a bo- very boutiquey. We've got you know we're up to our signed our ninth client on the advisory side. And then we've got three of our own pro- uh, proprietary uh, platforms, a lot of blockchain stuff. Uh, we've got a reverse auction that was in the restaurant business. Um, that was really doing well pre-COVID. We got to sort of rejigger that. We're re- re- relaunching that, re- reworking the um, the app, um, and then you know, so it's been cool. So we've sort of got two sides of the business. I spend the majority of my time on our advisory side, and in that world, again, we try to sink. We really, you know, broadly, we'd say anybody who's in sport or wants to use sport for growth, um, we try to you know target those folks. Uh, smaller businesses um, or emerging businesses, you know, two to fifteen million dollars in rev. Um, we get in post friends and family, post seed, pre series A. Often we have one getting ready for series B financing, um, and really try to help them broadly. Um, and we do some CPG work. We do some platforms. We've got health and wellness. We've got some sports gambling. We've got um, esports. We do some government stuff, getting some people in the government. So anybody, and and really, it's just been like it's been great because as we've had success, all of a sudden we get recommended. Now, haven't you, there's been some very specific uh, investments and advisory roles you've taken on. Some I thought were fascinating. One of them was the uh, Q collar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple other things I saw too, but tell us about like Q collar is a great example yeah. of solving a serious problem uh, in, right. in, in an, un, an untapped market. Yeah, that's, that's one I'm super proud of. I think that one is um, for someone who cares about sports as a, and what the impact that it can make on communities and positively and where we are from participation perspective. Um, well, by the way, where are we? 
we are not good. Yeah. Um, you know, not kids not, are not, not getting enough exercise. We're getting, we're getting, yeah, yeah we've got a childhood obesity problem, but beyond that, if that's, you know, say that's maybe at 50,000 feet at 30,000 feet, you've got a participation issue because mom and dad rightfully so are worried about their kids. And part of it is that we now playing sports year round. And that's a challenge because of the privatization of youth sports. Um, other parts of it is that there's a health and safety challenge. And you've also got the pay to play issue, which well, you've makes got, that's, it unaffordable right, for so half of that's right, so privatization. That's privatization. Yeah. Accessibility would be the term, right? Yep. And then you've got a health and safety challenge. And a lot of that revolves around CTE in the head and where that's going. And so um, the beauty of Q30, so the Q30 I've been involved with for, gosh, two and a half years. Um, they're out of Westport, Connecticut, two entrepreneurs, um, basically took the idea from the medical team around, you know, if helmets are a bumper for the car, you know, helmets are, you know, is the equivalent of a bumper for a car, right? You know, what's the seatbelt for the brain, right? Because right now it's not working, right? And guys are moving faster. Gals are moving faster. You've got sports that don't wear helmets. And if you get in a car wreck, you could have a great bumper. If you don't have a seatbelt on, you're in trouble. Yeah. And it's the same challenge in sports, Helmets are great. You need a good helmet. You need a great helmet. But helmets only do so much. And so they looked at the, the short story of it is they, they started to study other animals. And they studied the woodpecker and the battering ram. And basically the question was asked by some researchers, why don't you see a bunch of dead woodpeckers in the, in the woods? At the end of the day, they achieve what they call jugular vein compression. So if you think about arteries bring oxygenated blood up to your brain, jugular vein returns the blood back to your heart. They compress, the battering ram has muscles, the woodpecker does it with a muscle near their tongue um, to compress the vein, which slows the flow of blood from the brain back to the heart. That extra little bit of blood, it's just slowing, it's not stopping, um, creates a tighter fit brain to skull and eliminates your ability for your brain to slosh. And so through reason, so essentially it adds cook for the lay person. It adds some cushioning in there with extra blood in the brain. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And so that's reduced, um, that has been proven to reduce the impact of subconcussive hits north of 70%, right? Which is a huge number. That is, it's a huge number. And they were hoping to get 10% when they started the studies. And this is just so you know, that it's not wacky. It's, by the way, I'm still stuck on the woodpecker. How does he, <laughs> how does he deal with that? Because there's a there's a woodpecker by my house, and it is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, he is slamming, slamming away at that. Head, all. Right. He's they, making a cue collar for woodpeckers. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> how does it? But how what do they determine? They they do the bottom of their tongue wraps around uh, the jugular vein, and that's what creates their compression. I see. You know, and so um, the the battering ram does it with muscles around their jugular vein. Humans have those muscles as well. We just can't control them. Got it. Battering room can. Got it. And so, um, yeah, so, like, these guys, like, set out on this journey and, like, you know, 20-plus uh, uh, third-party-reviewed and peer-reviewed studies, $30 million in research, went down the FDA path, got FDA approval uh, a year and a half ago, uh, just about. Um, First-ever device approved by the FDA. And all of that tolerability, wearability, make sure it's obviously healthy and safe and not at, athletes aren't at risk. They went through all those studies. You know, small animal, large animal, human, male, female, different sports. They do it all. They did studied the military. It's big for military perspective. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been involved with them since pre-FDA. Like, cause I just, like that guys was one of those opportunities where um, you knew if we can pull this off and we can get this out there that the, if we can, you know, it can really change a kid's direction. Like this can really, like we've had, 
exam, we've, we've already sold, they're for sale now and it's doing great. But like we had a female basketball player at the University of Texas who's gonna retire after her third year in college because she could practice once and then she had to sit in a dark room for a week. And the trainer found out about us, Alan Parsons, called us. We sent a collar down last summer. She started to wear it. All of a sudden she could practice and then she practiced again and she could practice again. She's had, cause she plays the game very physically. Like she gets, takes a lot of charges and stuff. And she's not, she's a really good player. She played the entire season this year for the university of Texas. Didn't miss a game. Really? That's um, amazing. Amazing. She, she, now she just grad transferred to the university of Georgia to play a fifth year because of COVID. And she was going to retire, like not play anymore. Like the trainers are like, you're done. And we just now like we, and like, so she plays wow. like, and they've done stories on ESPN on her and stuff like that. Like, it's like you get, you know, there's a thing in bobsledding in the Olympics, you know, bobsledding, and there's a thing called sled head because of the fr- the micro movements in sledding. The bobblehead back and forth. Yeah, the bob, so luge, um, a skeleton, and bobsled, where they could only do like three runs a day every other day because their heads would get foggy. And all of a sudden, so they call, and all of a sudden, we start firing these things up to um, uh, when they were training for the Olympics. And they're now doing five runs every day. And they're coming home. This one woman who's a driver, she's from Canada. She has young kids. And like before, she would come home and have to take a nap for three hours. Now she's coming home. She'd call us. She'd tell us. She's like, I'm doing emails. I'm going to the store. I'm making dinner. I'm, you know, like, it's just like, you're going, oh my God, you know? And so like the stuff in the military side with these soldiers and like, you know, we, we tell a story of some of the special forces guys who are wearing it now and they're, they're feeling better. They're. We have wives call us whose husbands are in the special forces. You know, they've been early adopters in this. And, you know, they're, they're reporting, telling us, like, you're saving my marriage. Yeah. Like, they're wow. sending in emails because their husband comes back from, uh, you know, two weeks or three weeks of training or a mission or whatever else, and he's not his head's not throbbing. Yeah. I should probably wear one of those at the office. You should, <laughs> 100%. Might help. Yes, yeah. Yeah, 100%. No, that's an awesome story. So and it's it's, a, it's great. an incredible product. And for those of you who aren't familiar, um, you know, it's a simple collar that goes around your neck and uh, attaches uh, somewhat loosely, but, you know, snug enough snug. To, to control the jugular. Um, and I've seen a lot of lacrosse players wearing them on the team that I coach and, and on the youth circuit and everything. And uh, certainly seems to be a, a wonderful product that's helping change people's lives. Yeah, so congrats yeah, to you guys on thanks. that. Yeah, we're super proud of it. And we, I'd, again, I, when you get to the, when you're passionate about like access and getting having kids have really positive experiences in sports because of what that those experiences can help develop character in people. Um, the last thing you want is them to leave sports with that kind of issue. Right, so to me, it's very in we've line. We've all seen it with friends, family, 100%. I mean, ourselves. I talked to some NFL guys. We've got a bunch of NFL guys are going to wear it this this fall, and I tell them all the time, like guys now my age, you know, I've been retired now for fifteen years, whatever. Like I'm starting to see like my friends. It, it, it actually helps that long after the career. No, no, no. I'm saying I've seen guys who didn't wear it. Oh, okay. I'm seeing the effect of guys going. Oh man, does like, anybody wear it? Going, oh, does no. anybody wear it post career to help? We haven't gotten that far yet. We haven't gotten that far yet, but I think in the military, we'll probably learn that more right. than, you know, before we learn in sports. Well, that's great. Um, let's uh, change topics a little bit, although we've been talking about youth sports. Obviously, Mark and I are both very familiar with having multiple kids playing uh, travel sports, whether it be hockey, lacrosse, um, basketball, others. And you've got tons of expertise in that on the business side and also on the personal side with your own children. You know, there's this movement of youth sports, these massive complexes, and 
it's a big money maker, obviously. Talk about well, let me let me let me let me go back a little bit. Let's just talk about this how we even got to the this topic and why. We spend so much of our off time, basically most of our off time, helping our kids or other kids with it, with our charitable work and other things. We spend it at fields around athletics and things like every that. Every right? weekend, all with, year. With our own every kids, weekend, yeah. every weekend, right? Well, most weekends anyways. And people that are rather, um, I would say, um, uh, passionate and consumed by their work, just you can't stop start to think about what's going on here. How do we make it better? How do we improve upon it? How are they making money? Why are they losing money? All these different factors, right? And so the discussions start and they lead down certain paths. And so we've had a lot of conversations over the years. We've talked to a lot of politicians and, and county executives. We've talked to a lot of uh, business owners. We've talked to club owners. And, and I think we have, we as a team uh, and as a group have developed some opinions on things. And, and, and Ryan is probably one of the, I would say, one of the foremost experts on uh, what, what's needed, what's out there, what's probably going to gonna gonna work and what's not and so on and so you know that's how we got here though right that's no doubt. It, it, this was not something that we searched for we weren't looking for this i think we kind of stumbled across yeah, and, realized there's a, lap, yeah. and there's a need yep, there's a real need right so go ahead tell us your thoughts well this i think you know based on my experience and you're all and i think you guys would agree like sports complexes um the whole idea of build it and they will come like with sports complexes is real if you put it in the right area like i mean Maybe not even the right area. I mean, we go to Delaware Turf Complex, 30 minutes north of Rehoboth Beach with nothing around. And now they're building two hotels next to it. Absolutely. Right. But there was nothing there. No, it's literally in the middle of it was, almost nowhere. Yes. yes. Off Route 1, right? That's yeah. Route 1. Yeah. Like, there's nothing there. Inland. Inland. Yeah. Nothing. Farmland. Right? And so, and then now economic progress is coming. Now they have 16 turf fields. <laughs> Correct. And so, if you look at, you know, what I see, you know, I'm, I'm Howard well, County. I'm, Howard, Howard County's County. got complexes. I think, yeah. guys, I think this. We drive two hours to Delaware. We drive 40-ish minutes to Howard County, depending on what field you go to and where you're coming from in Montgomery County. And I'm sitting there going, God, if we could imagine if you could take what they're doing in Delaware, which is doing 40 weeks a year events, and move it a little closer. <laughs> like, what can you do? What could you – what could you? What experience could you, could you provide people? Like, now they're not – you know, we don't have to, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. You're not doing some of these things. And when you say do. closer, you're speaking, you're speaking globally, like move it closer to where the, where the, where the, where the base, uh, yes. where the MSAs are larger. Yes. Yeah. Demand. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Move it closer to demand. Now I understand why they do it because it is build it and they will come. So you could literally place it somewhere. You get cheap if, land. If, you get cheap land in five years, you're going to have something there. But the fixed cost is the same to build it. Fixed cost is the same. Yeah. Yeah. So it's roughly a million dollars a field lit. If you buy more fields, you're going to get a, somewhat of a discount on that. Uh, a football, uh, lacrosse fields, a, a little over what about 1.7 acres, you know, and you got to build in some support, and you need you know roughly 50 to 100 parking spots per field if you're going to do big events, right? And if you I think the smallest, in my opinion, six fields is about a small a six field event can do you can do a 50 team event, and a 50 team event is going to bring in about 2,500 people a weekend. Yeah. You know, when you see it at these bigger fields, like that Frederica one in Delaware is yeah. fascinating. I mean, there's literally thousands, thousands, thousands of people rotating, by the way. And yes. Fresh groups coming through all day. hundred percent. You there's got like a morning three, wave, yeah. you got an afternoon wave. Right? A late, there's got, a late wave yeah, now, you got too. two days. Yeah. Now, now, now a lot of people are doing midweek tournaments now and things of that sport, yeah. sort. So you're not just getting weekends. You could be busy four and five days a week. And maybe not Monday, maybe not, yeah, maybe. Actually, we've all been at events yep. Mondays, right? So... I just think, again, this. so if you back up and say, you know, youth sports is probably one of the most 
the industries that are least affected, it's almost recession proof. I say almost, it's not pandemic proof. We learned that. Right. But it is recession proof because parents are going to spend on their kids because they don't have any other option. And that, again, we talked about accessibility. That's a whole nother challenge, right? In this, but this is the world we're in, right? And there's scholarships and things that clubs are starting to figure out how to do. But so that's happening. And now they just want great places to play. And so you have a consumer that's investing in their child. You have clubs that are meeting that demand, you know, year round, and they just need places, great places to put on events. And it's only growing. It's not going backwards. It's not going to go backwards. Because what happened essentially was that a lot of municipalities punted on funding youth sports outside of the school system. Just because... And, and actually, they're barely accomplishing that these days inside the school system. Well, that's a good, fair point. I mean, if you go like some, again, here in Montgomery County, right, the middle school sports scene is limited at best. Yeah. Right, very few sports offered. And for whatever reason why, that's those decisions have been made. And, so and, the private sector yeah. just come in to fill the void. But And then you talk about like turf fields versus grass fields. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves a great grass field, but Let, grass fields just are not as durable and not they as durable. don't hold up. And Correct. What, what I learned very early on with my own family was we'd have a big Saturday planned with, with stuff to do, thank goodness, good, good healthy exercise outside, and then you'd get a call, oh, it rained, we're canceling the game. Or we're canceling the practice, yeah. especially with the little ones. And you just go, oh, man, we can't keep doing this. And then if you have a rainy spring, all of a sudden you missed half your season right. because you can't use that field. So, so turf is probably the way to go. Turf, right? And they've improved a lot on like, I remember the first time I was on the, what we call the new turf, right? The old yeah. school turf, you know, was like Astro the hard, turf, Astro the turf. hard, short, right? The softer turf. I remember in Cleveland. And the reason we did it in Cleveland, cause Akron, it came out of Akron cause of Firestone tire. Yeah. So they're using all the old tires yeah. to recycle, to be the base, which wasn't a great product health wise. Well, health-wise and environmentally-wise. Yeah. Now they've come really adjusted. They've improved dramatically on, you know, there's a lot of sand-based stuff. There's a lot of, like, acorn shell-based Co- stuff. Coconut grind. Coconut stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, they've really worked on So there's, So you can solve that that challenge from an environmental perspective and still get the idea of, like, we can put this event on as long as there's no thunder and lightning. Yeah. Right? And that, thunder and lightning, everyone understands. Yeah. So it, it um, to me, guys, the idea of figuring out you know, finding partners in places that can solve this problem for their citizens, like, is to me, like, it's really key to, A, not only having, you know, healthy future citizens of your area, right, from a physical perspective, from a mental perspective, um, you know, from the lessons they learn, I think also the economic impact is dramatic. And I've got, there's thousands, no I mean, there's reasons why, like, a lot of private equity money is going to these sports right now. Yeah. Right. And so what it takes, this really, these, a lot of these will probably be public private partnerships to Mm -hmm. some degree, or there'll be partnerships with the private industry that owns the clubs and so on. Because to to get the land that you really need to do this right, in many cases, it could be publicly owned land or it could be, could be land that is, um, that that is, I would say, more desirable and in a, in a, in a better location. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and remember, better can be just not two hours away. Yeah. Better doesn't have to be five minutes down the road. That's right. Your parents will drive, but, just not, let's not try to go two hours Yeah, for a day. Can we sleep in our bed? Yeah. Yeah. Right. right? I mean, I'll say, can you do, can you make it 45 minutes away? Yeah. Awesome. Like to me, that's like, that's the goal. Like I get it. Like no one wants to have a six field lit complex in their, you know, budding up in their backyard. Yeah. Like, let's not be stupid about it. 
Yeah. Right? But yeah. I think there's an in-between. But yeah. done tastefully with the right design, 100%. right buffers yeah. between yeah. community. Yeah. yeah, between community. And so, yeah, yeah like all the way. I mean, so that, the, the revenue is serious, though, from an economic yeah. perspective. It's, it's, and it right. provides it's so much community-building benefit, too. I mean, you look at what's happening up in uh, Howard County, and it's a great place to live. And yeah. there's, they've got fields all over the place all that the place. kids can use, and people are happy playing sports and, and being active. And they do it the right way, and they do it with the right amount of parking, and they make sure they I've monitor. Asked, I've asked Restrooms, you know, concessions. Yep. I'm, I'm sure there's there's a, there's more to the story than this, but I asked Ken Ullman. A lot of them were built during his tenure, a uh, former uh, county executive here. He's a really great guy and loves loves Howard County. And he, uh, I said, why? Like, how did you figure that out? He goes, real simple. I had kids and they weren't playing and there wasn't enough place to play. And I said, well, how'd you accomplish it? Well, I, we did it. We just did it. Mm -hmm. And we need more leadership, uh, you know, from uh, from our, our our county folks and 100%. so on in some of these places. But that's that's good conversation. Thanks yeah. for thanks for sharing your thoughts. And I know you know a lot about that. Yeah, I mean, this has been awesome. We could probably talk to you for five hours, Ryan. This has been fun. Can, can I ask one more question? Just, just fun, like a football fan question, just because I think people like to hear that. What's your favorite uh, football or sports or NFL story? You could t it, could, it doesn't have to be NFL. It could be sports story because you've been around it from so mm -hmm. many different perspectives. Or it could be NFL story that you participated in. Yeah. What's your favorite sports story? My favorite's, oh, man. That you were up close and personal, too. Yeah, so – Probably when I was playing, I'll go back to when I was playing, and I've told the story before, but I, it is pretty funny. I was I started against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day, and this is when they were really rolling. This is Emmett Smith and Daryl Johnson and Troy Aikman. I mean, they were really good. Yeah. And we had played in Arizona the Sunday before late, and we were playing in Dallas on the early game on Thanksgiving Day. So that's like 11 a.m. kickoff in Dallas. And we came back. So we got back about 3 in the morning from um, Phoenix, and so I was an effort guy, clearly, right? So, like, I had to be, like, recovery was a big deal for me. And I'm getting ready to go against, like, the famous offensive line of, like, Nate Newton and Mark Stepnoski and Eric Williams and 2&A. And um, I was about 285, and I was going to start against Nate, and Nate was, like, 370. Oh, my gosh. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, like, that kind of thing, right? And I get to the stadium, you know, at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. early, and I start to warm up and I realize like, I don't have my legs. Like I could tell, I'm like, this is, you know, I'm scared. I mean, I'm really, I'm like, Oh my God. Something's like wrong. Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving day, first game, national TV. And I don't have it. So, um, and that was generally cause it was a short week, short week. Yeah. 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 And we had been to Phoenix and had to fly back. It was a tough trip, you know? And it's cause we left, we got back, you know, Sunday, you know, Monday morning, early, early. And we left for Dallas on Wednesday, you know? So that's a quick turn. And so um, the third play of the game, like, Nate just buries me. Like, buries me. Like, I mean, like, it's like a cockroach situation where I'm just, like, <laughs> rabbit punching him in the ribs to get him off me. And he's laying, like, on me like this. And he's, yeah. And, um, he's face to face. Face to face, like, snots. And you're on the off. ground? I'm on, the, on my back. Yeah. And, like, I got knocked out of the screen on the film. Like, I'm like, <laughs> this is not good. And I saw the play happening. My legs just didn't move. Like, I could see it. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go this way. I just couldn't move. And he caught me on the ribs and he drove me to the ground. And then he stood up over me and said, I'm going to effing kill you, white boy, like that. And I'm laying on my back and I'm looking through up the Texas Stadium hole. And there's a whole, you know, old Texas Stadium. And I see the clouds and I go, Lord, help me today. <laughs> I'm laying on my back. Have you seen him since? Oh, God, no. No, oh, you haven't seen I'm not since. seeing him, but he wouldn't, you know. He wouldn't remember. And he then, did that to a lot of people. Yeah, he was really he good. He just slammed he was just a lot. Huge, yeah, he was just a monster. Yeah, man, he was a monster. 
And so then as the game wore on, all of a sudden I started to make some plays because my legs started to come, right? And all of a sudden I got Aikman for a sack. I got Emmett Smith for a tackle for a loss. Like I had one of my better games I've ever, I ever played in the NFL. Yeah. And he got tired because whatever he took to get ready for the game, generally medically induced, I started to wear off, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden he – so then I started jawing back at him. I won't say what I – I won't say what I told him, but I made it known that I didn't appreciate him threatening my life um, in the first quarter. So, I, I, you know, after the game, you know, it was sort of fun to sort of go up to him and, and um, you know, you could – I mean, I was, a, again, a, a backup guy who got a spot. You know, I wasn't like yeah. a known name – but he came up and sort of gave me a fist bump and said, you know, way to play, you know, and that was. Felt good. It felt good. Yeah. Because, yeah. again, I didn't get many of those, you know, so anyway. but yeah, Changing gears on another story, I just want to like, you know, the country is in a real divide on so many issues, right? And uh, you, 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 the same as me and, and Matt, grew up in locker rooms for different sports or on fields with different athletes and stuff. And I think that we've always found uh, sport to be the great uniter. Mm -hmm. To me, it, it was we were all the same everywhere we went. Mm -hmm. No matter uh, what religion you were, what color you were, uh, uh, how much money you had, everybody was the same in that locker room. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just loved it. And, and that's how I grew up. I mean, is, is, is that... The way is that the way to bring people together? Is it one of the great ways to bring people I, together? I th still, I think it's I, it's a great comment, and I hundred percent agree with you. To me, you know, we never cared. Like I remember, um, I'll tell you another story. I was sitting in the hot tub with Mike Strahan. I'll drop his name, and we're in the hot tub, and this is when like the whole idea, like, could would the NFL accept a gay player? Right, and we're and we're sitting, we're going, yeah, like as long as he can play, yeah, like if you can play. And, and this, is we, a while, this is a while ago. Yeah, this is, yeah. This is you know, 07, 07 whatever. Like, yeah. we're like, yeah. Like, play, you know, what we won't accept is a bad gay player. Yeah. Now, we won't accept a bad player. I don't care what he, you know. Yeah. Don't be bad. Yeah. Like, because the whole thing, the only evaluation was, can you help the team win? Yeah. Right? And so, that's some, there's some, that's a double-edged sword. It can be, because that also allows guys to, you know, drugs and stuff like that. If you can help the team win, they'll overlook things. But from an acceptance perspective... Yeah, I mean, some of my best friends I played with were guys from who were who were bloods, yeah, you know, or from a poor town in Mississippi, or from inner, you know, Wisconsin or inner city New York. Like, it didn't matter because as long as you can walk around the locker room and go, "I did my job," yeah. I can do my job really well. Then you're respected. You're respected and you're accepted. So nobody cared. Like I, we always, I, I mean, personally, I always laughed at that. I'm like, just don't do it for political reasons. Like. If the kid can play, like we don't care, like yeah. nobody cares, and that's why guys different sides of the political aisle, yeah. different thing. It doesn't matter. It goes out the door. It doesn't matter because everyone's just like, "Are you good? Okay, if you're good, then I'm good." We're on the same team. We're on the same team. Like yeah. we're gonna try to win the game. Yeah, and that's the only. I mean, listen, that's awesome. Every now and then you'd have like the first round picks who you knew sucked, and you're like, "Okay, we know we got to keep this guy for two years till they blow him out." Like you get that, right? <laughs> but but like. Which, again, most rookies do suck. That's why the average career in the NFL is three years, right? If they were really good, the career, average career would be longer, right? Yeah. So most of the time, rookies suck. And often, first-round picks suck, you know, but you just got to deal with it. It's the, it's like if they – but most of the great teams I was on, New York was really good at this. Like, it was all about this is your job. Can you do your job really well? If you can, we're good. And, again, they're you – know, the merit, they've got – I mean, it's it, – Everything else went out the window, and which is awesome. It's a really great place to be. So, yeah, that's great to hear. So changing gears a little bit again here. So 
blisteringly honest, I would call you. Uh, I probably have the same um, same. Um, I don't know whether it's a curse or a yeah, I'm not sure either. skill or whether <laughs> or <it's> reputation. <laughs> reputation, but no. But in all seriousness, I asked you before. I said, yeah, you you, you call it like it is. I always appreciate it because you know you know where you stand on these different issues, and uh, and I said, well, where'd you get that from? And you told me this story one time. I thought was interesting. You said, well, I've never been able to hide. I've been playing either Division One. I, I played high school, and that's you know it's not the same level as Division One, obviously. But then I moved to Division One football, and then I moved to the NFL. Everything was on tape. Even the practices were mm-hmm. on tape. So literally, there was nowhere to hide. None. So you got called out in public. You actually didn't even need to be called out because it was on film. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw yeah, it. Yeah, be honest. Like, so, yeah. so it, the, the, that was probably the hardest thing I had to adjust when I went to corporate life is that people hide in corporations, <laughs> right? And they don't want to like take, like they'll take a little bit of credit as long as they don't take a lot of blame. That's right. Like, they won't really jump in with two feet because they're worried if it doesn't work out, then I get all the blame. Yeah, and it was really ch- hard for me to do because, as I just said, like on in a team, we're just trying to win the game, and everybody's focused on that, and that's all only thing that that's the only thing that mattered. And if you screwed up, fess up now, because if you don't, I'm going to see it on tape the next day. Yeah. So there's nothing worse than in a game, if you're playing defense and you've got a a role to play on a play, and something doesn't work out, and you don't know what happened, because and because one guy's saying, "Oh no, I had that." And then, okay, we're going, oh, my God, they got us. We don't know what we did. And then the next day you see tape, and you go, you didn't have the it. The guy lied. Yeah, yeah, you didn't have it. So just be honest. Like, but I'd that, rather, like, yeah. I'd rather, I tell you, tell people when I lead teams or whatever else, like, if just everybody screws up, it's okay. Just tell us so we can quickly change, yeah. right? Don't Learn wait, from it. And don't, don't wait, because yeah. then you're just wasting time. Yeah. You know, like. And, and, but so, you, so the point is, you took those lessons from your sports and you applied them to, to running teams, business wise, hundred percent. And you found that to be effective. I, I did well. I I did. I'm not sure. <laughs> the people well, receiving it maybe yeah. didn't. Well, well, I was leaned. Some, to, some I, people I, like it. I like I liked yeah. people who played on team sports. Yeah. You know, because I think they're used to getting that feedback, and. They're not scared of being successful. A lot of people are scared of success, too. Also receiving constructive criticism. Right. Receiving and, and, and knowing that, like, there's never been a perfect game played by an athlete ever in any sport, right? So everybody screws up. Yeah. It's fine. Like, you're not going to get fired screwing up once. Yeah. No one is, ever. No one's, like, you know, you're not going to get benched for having a bad, maybe even a bad game. Maybe in the NFL, maybe, but, like, not in youth sports yeah. or high school sports. So, like, just, like, learn from it, talk about it, and don't do it again versus hide from it or try to shade it over or whatever else, right? So, I 100%. I, that's, I, I liked people who played team sports because of that reason. Right, wrong, or different, it just fit with me. I'm not saying that's for everybody. All right, ch- changing gears a little bit here. Just want like to the third time we've changed gears. I know. I say that because it's a transition point for the tape, you jackass. <laughs> uh, t- changing, changing gears a little bit here. Your dad. Yes. Your dad, you've you got great kids. I know your kids personally. They're awesome. You have three kids. They're really respectful. They're very smart. They're very hardworking. You've got two of them now, one already off playing Division One sports, play, going to University of Pennsylvania. That's an accomplishment in its own right, and, and playing lacrosse there. I think he basically started this year or played split time, whatever. Yeah, play he he, he yeah. mattered. And then you have another one. Your daughter's amazing. She's going to University of Maryland to play. She had went through a lot of adversity with a with an injury to her knee and came back and still mm-hmm. still pulled it off. And, you have an, and then we have, we have Coop, who's coming along next mm-hmm. so t- tell me just just you know briefly like i, I admire your family you, you're raising great kids tell me what you're doing to raise that family and get them help them and nurture them and push them along like what's the balance between push and yeah and stick pull? and feather yeah well, how's that work <laughs> yeah um i think again 
the idea of it's still the ethos of being honest, right? And being transparent in your feedback. And, but then also understand your, your, who your audience is. And so Olivia, my daughter, she likes a little more feather. Um, Tyler likes this, or he doesn't like it, but he receives a stick. <laughs> he responds to it. <laughs> the stick better, yeah, responds to the stick better. Um, but I think just being candid and honest, and and I tell them all the time, like, I can't stand when I hear people, when they're, you know, on the sideline or whatever else, they say, oh, Johnny or Jenny played horribly. And then you see him, and the kid comes up and goes, oh, you played great. I'm like, well, just tell them they played poorly. <laughs> like, it's okay. it's okay. I still love you. Yeah. Because if you tell them they play great all the time, do they really believe you? Yeah. Because because they're going to get to an age where they're going to know. Yeah. And they're going to know more than you. Yeah. And I've seen it with my older son. Like, I don't say anything to him. I'll say, hey, what happened here? I'll just ask questions. That's generally because I don't know. And he'll, be, and he'll give me a five-minute answer. Like, what am I going to – like, if you don't – if you're not honest with them, if you, that means they'll never believe you when you tell them – if you only tell them good things – like I just I don't think that's the way, right way to do it. I I'm not saying you got to harp on the negative, but like you got to be candid with them, and that way they're going to believe you. So when the, you tell them they play well, yeah, they know it's true, and because they also know that when you play poorly, they're going to tell them that you're going to tell them that too. Were some of these similarities coming from your childhood, from your your, your parents? Yeah, very. There's 100%. a lot, a lot of the positive stuff coming right out of there. Or or, or yeah, well, my, I, my, positive, my, I mean the positive parenting. Yeah, my yeah. dad. I mean they're yeah. from you know, Midwest, you know, couple, and they you know my dad was he was very like stick. Yeah, stick. <laughs> a lot of stick. But he would be like, he wouldn't be a jerk about it. And I don't think I am either. I'm just like, like well, you just didn't play well. Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. okay. Let's go Let's get go some ice cream. Lunch, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, no That's one's awesome. going to die. But like, you just, not, you just didn't play well. Well, this has been awesome. Thanks, Ryan, for your time. Um, I know we could definitely talk for like six hours. This is this has been incredible. So thanks a lot. Thank you have you fun? Guys. Yeah, I did have fun. Yeah, it was good. That's great. Well, Do it again. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely do it again. Great. And, Love uh, to. So that's it for today's episode. What a fun conversation with Ryan Keel. Always great to talk to him. We hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. Thank you for being here and sticking with us. We'd love to hear from you on social media at Weller Development on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I'm Matt Rienzo, and he's Mark Weller. Keep building, people.